Welcome to the Jam Broberg Show, where we expose the truth about child sexual abuse, rape, assault, and trauma. Everything you hear on this show is for informational and educational purposes only. We do not dispense therapy or give legal advice. This show is not for children. I'm Jam Broberg. Let's get started. Today, I want to go on with our series on what do you do if a child, an adolescent, a tween, a teen, a young adult discloses something about what's happening to them, or maybe it's just a sentence that makes you need to ask a clarifying question, because oftentimes they're testing the water before they dive in, right? They want to know how you're going to react. Even if they don't know that's what they're doing, there's, I mean, for sure they're scared already. There are many reasons why it takes a long time for most people to tell someone or to disclose something about abuse. They might have been threatened. Of course, they might have been uh, told or promised that they would get a great gift or a new bike or, or a trip to Disneyland. Who knows? It depends on who the abuser is and what tactics they're using. But the child or the young person is really in a state of altered reality. So the reason that they're not disclosing sooner is because it takes something to even say a sentence, to even say a sentence, because they are already housing what happens in secret. There is a shame connected to something that happens to a person in secret where they are told or threatened or rewarded for keeping it a secret. So that blame and self-shame is the next step in this series of what to do if someone discloses. And the next point is to free the person, the child, the adolescent, the tween, teen, the young adult, anyone 25 years or under is who I consider a child, that your mind is still developing, your ability to um, negotiate and understand the world is still developing Your conscience is still developing. You are not fully formed in your brain cells until you're, you know, 26 and sometimes older if there has been, you know, any kind of, um, you know, alcohol or drug use or whatever that you might even have a, a, a little bit of a harder time disclosing because some of those pathways to what's going to happen to me when I tell might have been a little bit compromised. There are certain physical things that happen to you. Certainly trauma is also something that that keeps the brain from moving um, forward. You know, that arrested development thing, it's a physical thing, a sexual um, uh, thing that's happening. And also, you know, just the mind itself and its own development and its own pathways has, is, still, is still being developed. So as you go on to this next step in the series to free the person of any self-blame, first of all, the reassurance to that person that that is talking to you and telling you something so personal. And like I said, it may just be a sentence. The first thing is that they are reassured on this journey of, of disclosing that they are not to blame in any way, shape, or form. They did not cause what happened to them. And might I just, as a side note, remind you that it wasn't anything to do with that young person it doesn't matter 
what they were wearing or not wearing. It doesn't matter if they were drinking or not drinking. It doesn't matter if they were, uh, you know, using, you know, if they were smoking pot or not. It doesn't matter where they were, if they were in a place where you don't think they should be. It do- none of that matters. This is not the time to discuss, you know, boundaries and, and, and safe practices. This is not the time. None of that matters because what happened to them was not their fault. They are the one it happened to, and the self-blame that will surface the moment you raise your eyebrow or you begin to say, well, where were you? Well, why were you there? If that's how you start to answer They will shut down, they will not share, and you will have lost your opportunity to actually find out what actually happened. Now, maybe they'll come back to you later when they really want help, but they may be assaulted multiple times before that first attempt happens. I know somebody who tried to tell her mother at age seven, and she was actually on one of my podcasts. And when you know, mom saw the the blood, you know, on the underclothing and asked her what it was from. The response was, well, you'll get used to it. I know others that have said that their mother freaked out and it scared them so much. They never tried to tell anything else to their mother because it was so scary to them that she, you know, lost her mind. Um, or a father that gets so angry, I'm going to kill the person, or anything like that, those reactions are just absolutely destruction to the person disclosing and to their continuing to tell you more. So, um, okay, so we know that they're not to blame for what happened. Also, it's very important to remind them that they are not to blame for not stopping it. Like, Questions such as, why didn't you run? Why didn't you scream? Those are also the sorts of questions that will completely shut down the person who is trying to disclose because they all of a sudden, they are reinforced with the shame and the fact that they're being blamed. I know it's probably not intended, but they're being blamed for not doing something about it. Most young people male or female, freeze. They are incapacitated. They are in shock. They sometimes don't even know what is happening to them. They don't even have words for it. And so when you start asking the why questions, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you bite or kick or scream or yell or run or walk away or just walk out the door? Any of that is going to deepen the sense of shame, guilt, and blame that they already feel because what was done to them was done in secret and they were told not to tell in one way or another. So though, you know, it might seem really unimaginable to somebody who has never been through sexual assault or abuse, um, shame and self-blame are some of the most common and the most... um, in my opinion, destructive 
things that um, a child or a human being is left with in the world of, oh my gosh, it was my fault. I'm ashamed. I have all this guilt. And you're like, how can you have all the guilt? The person that did this to you is the person that should have all the guilt, all the shame, all the blame. But I have heard it in so many various ways by telling my own story. And I was a full-grown adult when I was really trying to share my story. I was 27. My son had just been born when I kind of shared it to more than just my family members. And, and I really hadn't even gone into detail, you know, the gory details, as I, as I used to call it, the icky stuff. You know, that's basically what I said when I was disclosing to my mom and dad the first time, you know, at age 16, I was like, well, and there was icky stuff. You know, I would talk about, well, it was this and he took me here and there and, you know, and then there was the voices and the aliens and, and you know, you're trying to, you're trying to unpack your, your altered reality story back into the reality of what the truth of your life is. And it's hard to find the words. I mean, I didn't know words that were brainwashing words. I didn't know that some of the tactics that were used on me had actual names. You know, I didn't know that inculcation was taking a familiar story that somebody already believes and just inculcating or inserting, changing certain details about a very familiar believed story so that what is happening to the person at the time of their manipulation and their assault and their brainwashing is almost familiar or believable. Hey, everybody. I just, I just had to take a minute because I want to talk a little bit about our online community, Thriveivers. Um, I always had the feeling it would be really cool and that it would be helpful, but I had no idea how amazing it is to be in a safe space with fellow survivors, where you feel like you can talk about anything without any judgment, where you can have, you know, your worst day and need to express things about a big disappointment, or you have a breakthrough day and something that just finally made sense to you on your healing journey and you're able to go forward. I'm more than thrilled with what the members at Thriveivers are already talking about and what they're saying, and they're sharing their stories, and it truly is changing their lives and changing my life. I can't believe how much I've been missing by actually not having a group of fellow survivors in my path. There's so much to be learned on the journey from each other and from that support where you're completely safe. I hope that you'll come over and join us and just know that we have survivor stories that we share every week. We also have amazing experts like social workers, therapists, uh, memory experts, people who have created programs for healing because they were survivors too, and now they've gone down that path and that journey, and now they're sharing what they know with all of us. And it just becomes this wonderful, amazing experience. And I really want to encourage you to come and join us. And, you know, we'll never charge more than a dollar a day for your own health and healing. I think that's pretty reasonable. That'll never change. And if you can't afford a dollar a day, tell us what you can't afford. Nothing? Come anyway. We want all survivors to have a safe 
place to begin their healing journey and to be supported on that journey. So please just come. It's free right now for your first month, no matter what, and it can stay that way for as long as you need it to. And then when you feel like, oh, okay, I could throw in a five or a 10, I'll do that just to help us continue the platform and to continue having all of these amazing guests and speakers, as well as to just encourage the whole community in a way that probably you've never experienced before. It's pretty incredible. I can't wait to hear from you. I want to hear your story. So please go to our link in the show notes and find us at Thriveivers. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I cannot adequately explain to you guys how vitally important therapy has been for me throughout my life. At times, it has been what keeps the 10% of my life, which is filled with challenges and trauma, from festering and becoming 20% or 30% or 50% and so on. Therapy has literally saved my life. It commits you to your own mental health, and it has a physical impact on you as well. So when your mental health is good, your bodily health improves. I'm telling you that at BetterHelp, you have an opportunity to do the easiest pathway to a therapist. You can chat with them. You can have a video session. You can text your therapist. It's immediate. You don't have to drive anywhere, and they will match you with a licensed professional. And if that doesn't work out, it doesn't feel like a fit to you, you can change it anytime for no additional charge. It's more affordable than traditional therapy, and it's easier than traditional therapy. When you feel better mentally because you've been seeing a therapist like I have throughout my life, you'll know why you have committed that time that money, that space. So hopefully you'll go to BetterHelp, use our link, betterhelp.com forward slash my name, J-A-N, and that will help out our show. It will help you. Plus, if you sign up from our link, you get 10% off your first month. I'm telling you, it's so much more affordable than traditional therapy. And it's also so much more immediate because you can do it from the palm of your hand. I know that for a fact. I've used them myself. I didn't know that that had a name when I was 16. I didn't know it had a name until I was in my 40s. (laughs) So it's interesting when you start disclosing, I was 27. My, My brain, I think, was pretty much fully developed, except for what was stunted in there because of the abuse, which absolutely I had arrested development in relationships and and missing out on my you know, early teenage years when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, there are definitely things that I know were not developed during those years in the way that a normal, you know, teenager, you know, has relationships with boys and has crushes and all those things. I didn't get to do that. So there were things that definitely I carried over into my adult life, um, you know, that became problematic for me in my relationships and in my marriages. And um, those are just things that, that are a result of that abuse and how it does you know, affect your development and your brain development and your emotional development. So um, I just think that's an important thing to remember that, you know, as an adaptive measure, um, you know, children and young people will take responsibility for the rebu- abu- for their abuse, excuse me, for their abuse, rather than acknowledge, you know, how completely out of control they feel. It's almost like a way of taking control, 
because they feel so out of control because the people that usually are abusing, you know, our children and young people and even our, our college students are, are usually older adults and, and maybe only a few years older. But that makes a big difference when you're in those developmental years. Like if a 17-year-old is being groomed by somebody that's 24, 25, 26 in that age range, it looks totally like, well, maybe that isn't abuse, but it is abuse. It's absolutely abuse because that span of those seven, eight years is a big span in the way that a person's, um, you know, development is happening. And so that's why there's so often, I always say that teenagers don't seem to be believed or to have their their stories taken seriously nearly enough. And it's because people don't realize that often the abuser, the, the person grooming them is only a few years older than they are. But that is still abuse and it is still grooming and it is still absolutely 100% an unfair match. You know, the, the brain power and the manipulative... Um, uh, you know, artistry that somebody at age 24, 25, 26 can have over a 15, 16, 17-year-old is significant. And so I think that's a really a really important point to keep in mind. Um, and that they will kind of take the responsibility for the abuse almost to feel in control because they feel so out of control. And so they'll stuff it and they'll remain in a state of shame, blame, and guilt and we have to get them out of that in order for them to continue to talk, to disclose, and to do all of the things that need to happen so that that perpetrator, that predator, can face the consequences of their actions. Um, so I think another thing that, that I've already touched on, but I want to make sure it's really clear, that the, the way um, that young people start to... Uh, manage themselves in their world, in their orbit, at their home, you know, in their communities, you know, in their sports or their, you know, uh, school classes or whatever, is they become, and they already are, but they also become more and more aware of the feelings of others. You know, when you're two years old, the whole world revolves around you and, you know, you want what you want. And as you get a little bit older developmentally, you start to realize that, oh, when I, when I act this way, I might get what I want. And when I act that way, I usually don't get what I want. You know, you start to understand how kind of how the world works. And then as you get into those, you know, eight, nine, you start to understand that what you did might have hurt someone else. That's when empathy and the the ability to have a conscience, you know, it's the birth of your conscience, uh, of conscious mind where what I do can, can be harmful to someone else. That's right around that age, eight, nine, 10, and you're starting to go, oh, I actually have empathy or I actually can learn to care about someone. And when I do that, they, they usually give that back to me if they're, if they've been in a nurturing you know, loving environment. And now you get all of those ages and, and into those early tween years 
and the feelings around them, they are starting to be very astute to the feelings of people around them. So if they feel that they are the cause of um, your pain, your upset, your I'm going to, you know, kill that person or whatever people say, because I've heard that a lot from people. I'm like, yeah, you think you would, you know, that's what you think because you're a, you know, a good mom or dad, but you really wouldn't, um, I hope, because then you'd be in jail and not the perpetrator. But that is the reactions that we have to hold ourselves back from having while someone is disclosing to us. Um, so even if a, a, another thing that I think people forget too is that, you know, sometimes it might be, you know, a younger, a younger child with an older child. Like I have a person in my life that, you know, was about five or six and the older child was nine or 10. So there's that four or five year, um, you know, and, and maybe the younger child basically gave what you would call permission. Like it was, they said, not even if they were asked consent, because obviously a 10-year-old isn't probably asking for consent. They don't even know what that is. They usually oftentimes have probably been sexualized in some way, which is why they're acting out that sexualization on a younger child. And so even with that, um, where a child acts willingly, you know, in the face of of something, you know, being... Uh, performed on them or something that they're asked to perform on another child, the older child maybe, or even a child of the same age, um, it, it just, it, it doesn't imply consent. So for sure, there is no consent, no matter what, no matter what the age of, you know, the children or an older teen with a, with a nine-year-old, let's say, it, there is no consent, okay? If, um, uh, a child gives permission or or even requests like to to play a sexual sort of game or a touching a touching game or it just it it never would excuse an adult who would be or a teen uh, on the receiving end of that and that that older older child an older teen an older young adult an older adult. They always have to take full responsibility. Now, there are various places that get help for both children, both if it's a child, a child um, that is perpetrated on another child. They usually both need help. And there are places who have really good programs, um, you know, that are in you know, various communities, but they're not everywhere. So I think that's really important too, that it, it's always the adult's responsibility to limit, you know, um, or the the sexual, like, I want to play a touching game or I want to play a sexually uh, charged game. The adult has to say no. The adult has to be the person to set those boundaries. The child is never accountable 100% of the ch time, the child is never, ever accountable, okay? So um, I think lastly, you want to stress over and over to the child between the teen, the young adult, that 
this person shoulders all of the responsibility for what happened. They shoulder the, that blame, that guilt, and that they need help. And that this child is also someone who will need to talk about things and might need help, but you would say it differently to the child. It would be more like, we're going to talk about this and we're going to be able to, you know, get through all of these feelings and experience together. We're going to make sure that you have the, you know, the right people to talk to and that this person that did this to you, they need help. You know, they need help from other grown-ups because they need to get better. This isn't how, how they should act, um, but that the child, um, gosh, they're, they're not to blame. I guess that's really what it is so that, that the child can feel free of those feelings of, of shame, self-shame, self-blame, the guilt, the confusion, all of those things that they're experiencing. So that's, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for sharing this journey with me today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. This really helps us spread the word. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to our show, please do me a favor and share one of our episodes with them. I want every survivor to know that they are not alone and that there is help available. Links to my website, our foundation, the new book, our online community, Thrivivors, a newsletter can be found in the show notes. All of my contact info is there as well. This year, my number one focus is on sharing our stories. This is so important because it's the launching pad to our healing journey and it inspires the survivor who is still suffering in silence. I don't want anyone to suffer alone anymore. So please reach out. I want to hear from you. Until next time, my friends, this is Mama Jan signing off, over and out on two.